0: The Seahawks continued their momentum towards an exciting 2023 season as they beat the Cowboys 22-14 on Saturday. Mike and I will talk about that game, the latest news out of Seattle, and to answer your burning questions in a special mailbag episode. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins and along with my salacious producer Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts podcast. Mike, how are we doing today?
1: We are doing great, Jackson. We are almost to September, which Mm. brings mixed feelings, of course. Uh, Summer coming to an end, but uh, football, real-life football is on its way, so can't be too pissed off at that. How are you, buddy?
0: I'm doing great, man. I'm good. The Seahawks looked awesome again on Saturdays. They continue to sit most of their projected starters, but it has me feeling a lot more confident about their depth than I did at this point last year, and I really want to get your thoughts on the game, but before we do that, a quick reminder to everyone out there that you can still get your official Cigar Thoughts cigars directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. As always, you can just follow the link and place your order to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf, or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, as many of you have, and we'll send you the deets directly. There's also a link in the show page on whatever platform you're listening to us on, This same blend, when banded and branded by their manufacturer, sells for $35 to $40 per cigar, but you can get your own bundle of 10 for just 169 bucks. That's less than half of MSRP, and it comes with a Boveda humidification pack and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh whether you have a humidor or not. We would also love for you to check out our YouTube channel where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. This is one of the best ways you can help Cigar Thoughts grow. So, we're grateful for the few seconds you can take to subscribe and like the videos. Now, Mike, we put the call out this week. We did. We sent our smoke signals high in the sky, (laughs) asking for listeners to send in their questions, and they responded in a massive way. Some of these queries had me thinking pretty hard about my answers, and I can't wait to dive into them. But first, we actually have some football to talk about. So, on Saturday, Seahawks teed up the football against the Cowboys, ended up winning that game. I thought they looked pretty good, but what stood out to you? I thought that
1: the depth on the D-line, specifically at edge, was Mm -hmm. pretty impressive. Obviously, they have some unknowns with Derek Hall coming in as a rookie, um, Boye Mafé entering his second year. Mafé was just wrecking shop. Uh, I, I guess you can't glean a whole lot from knocking back reserve tight ends in the preseason, you know, but it's better if you're dominating the competition than the, than the alternative, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. No, I, I thought the defensive front looked a lot better. Uh, I thought they looked okay against Minnesota, but they came out looking a lot stronger this week, I think. And I think that's kind of the biggest concern for a lot of us going into the season. What's this front seven going to look like? Heaven forbid if they suffer any injuries and, And it was encouraging to see them winning up front, um, giving as good as they got. For me, honestly, man, Drew Locke looks awesome. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) He looks so good. Like, especially that long pass to uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And we'll talk more about him in a bit. But, I mean, the coverage on that was great. The route was awesome. But that throw, not only to be a completion, but for JSN to not miss a stride in catching it was like, I mean, it was the type of throw that Geno made all last year. Yeah,
1: the fact that you are slobbering all over Drew Locke on that play yeah. says a lot about how impressive the throw was, right? Like, that, mm-hmm. it, it was it was pretty sweet. Um, they just seemed like they were on schedule, like you said. It seemed like Geno was leaving the leading those drives, and you know they they lucked out on a couple of penalties uh, that extended those drives, but then they took advantage. You know, it looked pretty mechanical the way they were just moving up and down the field so you know second team offense a lot of the starters out of the game that's all
0: you can really hope for efficiency staying on schedule all that yeah and there were a lot of chunk plays on offense in this game you know I mean we had uh runs two yard runs a 17 yard run we had passes of 48 32 28 21 15 yards I mean, that's the kind of stuff that is so important. And yes, it's preseason. That is the qualifier for everything that we're talking about with this game. But a lot of times you see the backups in there. You're just hoping they get a couple of first downs and, you know, maybe get some good field position that they turn into some points. But these guys were, like you said, on schedule. They weren't afraid to take shots. Uh, There were big rushing lanes available, which wasn't always the case last year. It was just... I mean, top to bottom, I thought it was a really encouraging performance.
1: I think both of the games so far have been a great reflection of the energy that's coming out of the building right now. Yes. We've, we've talked about the vibes for so long. We keep harping on the vibes, but they are so good right now. It's unfathomable how good they've been and how they continue to be.
0: Well, we've always been a vibe-centric show. Totally. And, you know, it's it's something that is so important. I mean, the first year you and I started doing this, they were so bad. They were atrocious. So they were like the worst vibe since the Jim Mora era. You know, yep. it felt like everything was crumbling. I'm calling for the Hall of Fame coach to get axed. Like yep. everything was so, so bad. And then the trade happened. And we're like, well, okay, at least it's a reset. And here we are coming off a of playoff season. The expectations are right back to where we're used to them being for the Seahawks, which is make the playoffs and, and maybe make a little bit of a run. Uh, it's just—it's a blessed time to be a Seahawks fan, man. It's not—I feel like we're not having to do a lot of projecting on this team. It feels like it's right there.
1: Yeah, even the position groups that have the unknown quantities feel like they have the requisite depth that you know you're going to get a certain uh, yeah. floor out of them at the bare minimum. Totally,
0: man. Totally. But you know, it wasn't—it wasn't all rainbows coming out of that game. You know, that just, just—just the way that the Wildfire smoke kind of worked its way into an otherwise perfect Northwest summer. We had a really, really bummer of an announcement regarding Jackson Smith and Jigba on that long play that we were talking about. When he landed, was tackled at the one yard line. Apparently, he broke his wrist in a minor way. And originally, it was reported that he was going in for surgery. I heard today that he's actually just going to a specialist to get it looked at. Pete Carroll seemed to give the optimistic three to four weeks. Huge bummer there, man.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. I I guess shifting back to the positivity of that 48-yard gain, I need to know what noises were coming out of you when that happened. The (laughs) The hooting and hollering that you were putting into the universe when that play went down.
0: Oh, man, and I was too. So Saturday was one of my favorite days of the year because it's my home league's fantasy football draft. This league's been together 15 years. We all started out here in Bellingham, and now we're spread out all over the country. But we all fly in for one weekend. We golf in the morning, and then we do a a salary cap draft, live salary cap draft with an auctioneer, the whole deal. It's super fun. And we had the game on while that was going. And then afterwards, we all went downtown and kind of bar hopped. And so we went to a place called Schweinhaus, which is like an outdoor beer garden that had the game on the big screen. And that's when I saw that play and I'm pretty sure I just cut off my buddy who was talking to me. I think we were roster baiting about our our lineups from the draft and I was just like, it was one of those hand to the face moments as he got inside of that defender, caught the pass in stride and then turned up field. I thought he scored in real time. But man, the hoots and the hollers—they were loud. I'm, um, I'm amazed. I didn't get asked to leave the establishment. <laughs> yeah, man, the vibes were so, so high. And, it, and I was like, the only thing that tempered that is, by the time he got nominated, I didn't have enough money left to draft him. So oh,
1: I was gonna. Say, I was probably
0: the second. I was probably the second <laughs> happiest person there.
1: I was gonna say I figured that play major uh, gamble to choose him at the first overall pick Looks really savvy in the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, man. Well, if it had been a snake draft. I would have reached for him for sure. Yeah, But uh, like I said, by the time he was nominated in the in the auction draft, I didn't have the funds anymore. So that was a bit of a bummer. But yeah, man, I was I was stoked about that play and then stunned to wake up to find out that he had gotten injured. No doubt.
1: Yeah, it's really unfortunate. It seems like injuries are hitting the team hard with that position group, Dariq Young, maybe mm-hmm. out. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it's pretty good that you have two perennial 1,000-yard receivers in DK
0: and Locket to pick up the yep. slack in the meantime. Well, and this is... I mean, this is why, this is why they don't play those guys in the preseason. You know, it's just, we say it all the time, but there's so many ways to get hurt playing NFL football. And it seems like we've avoided the worst case scenario with this. I'm, I'm sure we'll get more information in the next few days, but the one thing that I'll say that I think is a nice sort of safeguard for this is last year, Seattle ran a lot of 12 and 13 personnel. Yep. Like. Because they have DK Metcalf, because they have Tyler Lockett, and because they have three really good tight ends, you know they they can weather a game or two without them. What's going to be interesting is with Seattle having the early buy in Week Five this year, if they don't just IRM or pup him and just keep JSN off the field until after that bye week, that would be a bummer because it is going to take him like most. Like most rookies. I mean, it was the same thing with Odell Beckham Jr. and Justin Jefferson. It took them a month of playing time before they started to really emerge. And I think that that's within uh, Smith and Jigba's range of outcomes, being as good as those guys, believe it or not. But even them, it took a while. And so it just sets him back a bit, which is a bummer.
1: Coach Jackson's uh, bubble wrapping him is what you're saying. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely, (laughs) man.
1: Absolutely. The conservative... uh, path. I understand. I understand. Um, getting back to the vibes in the building, it was cool watching, uh, watching Richard Sherman's podcast with Pete Carroll. Yeah. And it was explicitly mentioned by Pete about how great the energy in the building is right now, how he's having the most fun, as much fun as he's ever had with any of those teams.
0: Did you, did you get around to watching that show? I did. I did. And you know, one of the things that, is so amazing to me about Pete Carroll. I don't I don't follow any other team close enough to know if this yeah. happens elsewhere. But there are so many former players that come back, and it's not just like, oh, hey, I showed up for practice and took some photos or whatever. They're down there on the field coaching these guys. Totally. They're they're high fiving, they're hugging the coach.
1: Pete mentioned it in the show. He said, You guys all yeah. still live out here. Like everybody is still right. based in the area.
0: Right. Yeah, and that's so cool to see. And I got to think it's rare, especially the way some of these guys left. You know, Richard Sherman. I mean, that guy completely torched the Seahawks uh to seth wickersham after you know leaving the team and he went like he didn't even talk to any other teams he went to the most hated rival immediately on like night one and signed with them i'm sure that was coincidence yeah i'm sure sure nobody else was uh competing for a hall of fame corners services i'm sure yeah but it's like same thing you know with michael bennett marshawn lynch these are guys who yeah when they left the vibes weren't awesome and here they are they're back And, and it just feels like everyone is feeling good about everyone. And I got to think that's not something that you see a lot around the league. Definitely not. I mean, yeah. Michael
1: Bennett, his whole exit was, you know, pretty, pretty rough. A fifth round pick. Now he's in the booth calling Seahawks games. Yeah. It's, it's just seeing the conversation, what Pete said, you know, like, if we can get through all of that, we may just be here talking ball at the end of all this. And that's exactly what they're yeah. doing. And it, it was really, yeah. it was really beautiful to
0: see. It is, man. And and it's a testament to Pete Carroll. It's a testament to the leadership of the players in that building uh, where that's not a threatening thing to see these guys come in. And then, of course, you have the conversation within the conversation that everyone's talking about, yes. which was, and I'm so glad they did it. And I was so pleased with the honesty. Yeah seemingly honesty candid. from both sides. Yeah, and of course we're talking about the end of Super Bowl 49 and and Pete Carroll opened up about what went into that play call. And well I mean what were your impressions when you listened to that? My impressions were that this was a reminder
1: that a lot of times football can be boiled down to simple math, meathead math, if you will. How many bodies do you have in the box? How many bodies do they have in the box? personnel. Are we in heavy personnel or lighter personnel? Pete said, you know, we had already sent out 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers and Bill Belichick. It's why he's, it's why he's the goat, man. He sent out a yeah. uh, goal line personnel to bait yeah. them into throwing on the one yard line. And it worked. And it was as simple as a personnel decision. And then it went over to the pay, the play callers. And then the worst play ever happened. And Pete was just like, all right, I got to own this. You know, it was, yeah, it was the play of a lifetime and sometimes it was. it was that's all
0: it can really be and and that's where i've been for years now you know and and i've said it on this show but if you're listening and you've just avoided that game like the plague honestly go back and rewatch it rewatch the condensed version of that super bowl it is one of the great nfl games ever, ever. played ever and and we're so hung up for good reason on how it ended but like as a football fan that was a dream Super Bowl, And I remember seeing an interview with Matt Patricia, which say what you want about him as a head coach. (laughs) He was an extremely accomplished defensive coordinator when he was with the Patriots that first go round. And he talked about it and he even said like the Seahawks did the right thing. Like that was, that's what they were kind of hoping they weren't going to do, but he actually said he missed the interception. So, it's not the play call that I have a lot of issue with. He said he didn't even see the interception happen because all he could see was Marshawn Lynch standing all by himself on the left side. Marshawn flooded out into the flat on the left side. And the receiver on that side had cleared out the only defender over there. And the tragedy of it, is that that was a one-read pass? Mm-hmm. To me, the tragedy is not to pass there. I think that is a the totally... Clock,
1: they, they needed to get all yes. four
0: plays. That's what Pete
1: said as well. I mean, we've do we've got we've had like the cork board and the string and the conspiracy mm-hmm. theories out for years. Like the way that clock management dictates that situation, you have to pass at least once.
0: The number of times you, you have to pass at least once. The number Carol of said as of much. On the clock totally. Yeah, I, absolutely. You know, and and the thing is, is I think I think the revisionist history about that play is that Seattle got down there and just decided to pass. They ran it on the play before. Dante
1: Hightower by the shoestrings.
0: Yeah. uh, I mean, the only time in history Marshawn Lynch has been arm-tackled happened on the play before. And as amazing as Marshawn was, and though he was at the height of his powers uh, in 2014, Seattle was a pretty poor short yardage team running the ball that year. I think Marshawn had like a 20% success rate uh, on goal line carries. And frankly, I don't think he was going to score against eight in the box on that play, especially out of 11 personnel. So, you know, maybe you could say, hey, they, they go out and they throw jumbo, but they had just called the timeout on the play before because they didn't score running. And by passing there, you're not even thinking interception. Russell Wilson hadn't thrown an end zone interception all season. I'm not sure he'd thrown one in his career to that point. And so Malcolm Butler just made made the play. Uh, I think it was Brandon Browner who just completely erased uh, the uh, curse, curse on yeah. on the pick. Yep. Like, look, they, they made a great play, but the big takeaway is that you had the coach who, he talked about it. He had to just go up there and wear that one. You know, he, he just knew. He had to wear it. And Richard Sherman, who was the most vocal about how poorly that game ended and who really held that grudge, and in my opinion, spread that grudge throughout that locker room in the following couple of years uh, for them to just be able to talk about it and to admit how dark it got after that was pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. It just instantly soured the whole thing. I, I'm sure that that's what everybody wants to hear on our mailbag episode, just talking about Super Bowl 49 for 20 minutes. But, I'm telling uh, you, man,
0: it, at, at some it point, great. we just we just need to to treat ourselves to a little therapy totally. on that. And it's it's been a decade almost and and you tip your hat yeah could it have been a dynasty of course of course but they were so close to not even being in that game mm-hmm. they were getting their ass kicked by the packers the week before and or the game before you know and it took a miracle a stone cold miracle for them to even be in that position so i'm i'm to the point where i can look back on that season on that era be super grateful for it if you had asked me in 2012 hey here's how the next 4 years are going to go I'm taking it in a heartbeat. Yeah. A blowout dominant, maybe the most dominant Super Bowl win ever. And then a heartbreaking loss that people are going to talk about forever. Easy trade for me.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think the biggest takeaway uh, in in hindsight from those guys on that show was just that we were really, really good at that point. And people are going to remember that forever. And I think that's probably enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, now that we've purged that from the system, <laughs> that's right. let's hear from the listeners. That's right. That's <laughs> I'm glad we talked about it, though. I'm glad I they talked too. about it. I'm glad we talked about it. Guys, open up your conversations with the people in your life about that game. <laughs> Let the pain out. That's right. We're all here for each other. That's right. That's right. But, man, when, when we put out the call for questions, we got absolutely pelted with responses from people on Twitter and Instagram, and we're going to get to as many of them as possible today. Uh, I'm super impressed not only with the volume of the response, but the perspicacity of the questions themselves. I mean, this is some really insightful uh, stuff that that you guys have. So, Mike, why don't you lead us off?
1: Let's lead it off with a guy who's captured the hearts of Seahawks fans galore. I'm talking, of course, about Jake Bobo. We had multiple questions about preseason legend Jake Bobo, the first of which from Kevin Shields. Kevin asks, are we getting Cason williams with Jake Bobo? He simply looks too good to not make the fifty-three.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's let's start there. Um, you know, we talked about that with uh, Maddie last week. You know, is is he this year's Casey Williams? Um, at this point, I think he makes the team. I wasn't so sure um, last week because the thing is, he he's doing all of the things right. I mean, my favorite play, honestly, from that whole game, my favorite thing anyone did was. On Zach Charbonnet's long run, Bobo was running a clear-out route down the right side, and he peeks back over his shoulder and sees that Charbonnet's running his way and is made it the second level. And instead of turning and blocking, he keeps running down the sideline and kind of peels towards out-of-bounds and throws his hands up like he's going to catch the ball, which keeps his defender's eyes on him while Charbonnet runs right past him. I mean, I thought it was such a heads-up move. It's like, just like him downing that punt or nearly downing that punt the week before. It's that little stuff that uh, I think really endears him to coaches. I would say before the injury to Derek Young, I, I don't think he makes the team. I think they hope that he slips through to practice squad. Uh, now that it looks like Young is going to be out and certainly with JSN out, um, I don't think this means we're going to see Jake Bobo running a bunch of routes in week one, but I think he probably makes the team now.
1: Yeah, I would I would say that derek Young's injury probably solidifies that. I would have thought that with his performance coupled with D. Eskridge's suspension, that he True. probably yes. would have had a roster spot for That's at least a, good point. a few weeks. Unless, you know, Cody Thompson really took over, but... Oh man, you make plays in the preseason. You endear yourself to the team. If you're moving like that at that size, <laughs> you're getting guys yeah. to consistently bite on your double moves, your sluggos like that. There totally. might just be a place for you.
0: He will be on an active roster somewhere in the league. This yeah, year. I don't think I, that you're I, sneaking
1: into the practice squad at this point. Yeah,
0: I I hope I hope that it's in Seattle. I really do. I think I think the vibes are there with him. It seems like the players love him. Uh, but yeah, I. Does he affect Seattle's win total this year? I I don't think that's probably very likely. Okay.
1: Okay. Not a franchise cornerstone is what you're saying. You may get some blowback. Not yet. Not yet. I know. It's very brave of you. Okay. Uh, Next question from Whitney. Whitney asks, why should the Seahawks trade for JT? And I'm assuming, of course, she means Juan Thornhill, safety for the Cleveland Browns, formerly (laughs) of the Kansas City Chiefs. That's what I would assume, right? That, that makes the most sense. It's gotta, they have, they have a dearth be. of talent at the safety position. So that would make sense. <laughs>
0: yeah, right.
1: So Jonathan Taylor, Jackson, give me your, give
0: me your, uh, bonk worthy take on that. Yeah. I mean, all right. Jonathan Taylor is awesome. Full stop. I think he's Saquon Barkley level. Awesome. And I think Saquon Barkley is awesome and worthy of getting paid and all of that stuff. Um, but no, I don't think Seattle should trade. And not because, I mean, hell, let's say, <laughs> let's say it took a second rounder to get them. It'd be funny to invest three straight second rounders on running backs. Um <laughs> I, I love Ken Walker, I love Zach Charbonnet. They've also both been hurt already this offseason. Yep. And you can't have enough talent. We've seen what happens to this offense when their top running backs go down. They don't move the football. And so I, I believe in the value of good running backs, like really good ones. Um that said you're going to have to pay him and you know we all want to see these running backs get paid but we don't want our teams to be the one who does it and and so i don't i don't think it's a fit uh for seattle i mean would it be awesome to have him back there of course that would be sweet but you by paying him you're sacrificing uh the what i believe to be immense value of two capable running backs on rookie contracts already 100%. Um, the funnier thing to me is jim ursay's take on all of this dude it makes because, absolutely
1: no sense the, the no. every bit of news that has come out of that it's like uh jim ursay has showed up in his rv at colt's camp jonathan yeah. taylor has gone on the bus to have a conversation with jim ursay Jonathan Taylor is off the bus and has just requested a trade. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, totally. And then Ursay's out there. I mean, forget that he's taking Jonathan Taylor money and using it to like airlift an orca out, <laughs> out of SeaWorld. Yeah, that's right. Like, <laughs> he has bigger fish to fry, so to speak. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, the whole thing is hilarious. It's it's like something out of a Judd Apatow football movie. Totally. But you know the other thing that's funny to me is, and I couldn't imagine being a GM or a coach on a Jim Irsay owned team oh because you have to like work within this constantly shifting framework of a total wild card. But he comes out and he he basically tweets that everything is meaningless. You know that
1: we're all going to die,
0: and Jonathan Taylor <laughs> yeah. could die, and we're all going to die, and the league's just going to keep on moving anyway. So in saying that, he's like torching the value of his star running back. And then he comes out and says, hey, we need a first rounder or something commensurate to get him. So which is it, dude? <laughs> is he worth it or is he not?
1: <laughs> it, it, the, the thing about it that is so baffling is I feel like as a franchise, he is so torqued up over the idea of having the big young quarterback, right? Yeah. Which, which obviously the value of having like a quality starting quarterback on a rookie contract is immeasurable. But yep. Anthony Richardson is that dude you know how much we've talked about Anthony Richardson over the past several months. Yep. What value does that guy bring to the game as a rookie that sets the floor of the team, his rushing value, how do you maximize Mm -hmm. that by having one of the most unstoppable rushing forces in the planet next to him in the backfield on every single snap, getting like 30 touches a game. You want to, you want to develop that guy into being a monster. Why not pair him with another monster?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's Cam Newton next to Christian McCaffrey, you yeah. know, like they both really thrived as a result of defenses not being able to commit to one or the other in read option situations. So I think I think Ursay's just fucking that up yeah. <laughs> on a grand scale.
1: I mean, like tell like imagine uh imagine if Russell Wilson as a rookie, instead of having Marshawn Lynch to carry the burden or the load a lot of the way mm-hmm. as he was getting his sea legs. Great comp. If he had to have like Dewan Harris or Tony right. Jones or somebody, you know, yeah. like taking, you know, 50 snaps a game. And and that's no shade towards those guys, but there's a clear difference in caliber yes. of player.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, it's it's a no from me on on JT, but I hope he lands somewhere that appreciates him. Yes. That's not in the NFC West. No doubt.
1: No doubt. So, with football season starting, in just a couple of weeks. Jeez, that's
0: that's crazy. That's crazy, man.
1: Next question is coming in from Tom Ribs. Tom asks, which game on the Seahawks schedule would you consider a trap game? Let's pull this up. Let's let's take a look, Jackson.
0: So, I love this question and I you know, I went through and and looked at the schedule again just just to kind of see because I think it starts off I think the front half of the schedule is pretty nice and then it gets real tough in, from like Thanksgiving through Christmas oh, honestly it's a murderers row it's for just like five yeah. weeks
1: like six weeks yeah. straight
0: it's crazy starting with Thanksgiving you get Niners at Dallas at Niners Philadelphia at Tennessee and, you get Tennessee and Pittsburgh Pittsburgh like, like, like it's so I don't think any of those are trap games because I think they're all just going to be like Brutal. Paired with the early bye. Oh, my gosh. I was just going to say, man. Yeah. yeah. So I I think Seattle could be in for some turbulent waters there. For me, the trap game is the one right before that stretch, and that's at the Rams. And honestly, like, I expect Seattle to beat the Rams in week one at home. The Rams are kind of a shell of, of their former selves. They were going through a big existential crisis last year. But they still have Sean McVay. And if Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup are healthy going into that game, and that would be on uh, November 19th, so the Sunday before Thanksgiving, knowing that they have a short week coming up, having to travel to the Rams, having it be McVay's second time, seeing whatever the Seahawks defense looks like this year, knowing that it's Niners, Cowboys, Niners, in a freaking 17-day stretch coming up, that's the one that scares me.
1: The first thing that jumped out to me was actually the Sunday before that against the Commanders. Washington's yep. coming to town. I just think that you could have the prime Legion of Boom out there on that defense. I just know that Sam Howell's putting up 500 yards in that game. Like, it's guaranteed. Dude. <laughs> like Dude. That- there's a hundred percent chance year. that you're going to hate your life watching that game. Yes. I'm, I'm so positive. That's going about to that. be
0: an uncomfortable game, <laughs> no doubt. No, no doubt.
1: Yeah. I just, I mean, if you can take that L the week before and preserve Gino's claim to being a certified Ram Slayer, that's fine with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. I. I would rather beat the Rams than the Commanders if you only give me one of them, but it just. It feels like those Cardinals games or those Giants games of the last few years or like the Panthers or Falcons games uh, last year where it's like Seattle should win this at home and they just don't. They come out flat and then they're scrambling and it just doesn't come together. I could see that one, too. So good. We just extended the their toughest stretch of the schedule by yes. two games. Yes, of course. Well, you know, <laughs> we do what we can.
1: Uh <laughs> Let's move on to the secondary. We had a string of secondary related questions mm-hmm. that were based off of the fact that they have what appears to be so many competent
0: DBs. Yeah, why don't why don't you read all three of these questions and we can kind of answer them together. Yes. Yes.
1: Okay, we have Father Beejus, the Beegertron 5000. Saying, (laughs) it looks like we have four starting caliber corners and six that would be serviceable enough if push came to shove. At what point do we attempt to trade to try and shore up other holes on the roster? DK Maribo says, do you think the Seahawks are looking to unload some talent from their crowded secondary and collect some late draft picks? Or do you see them trading for any reinforcements in other places before the start of the season? And then anchored to reason is saying, you know, they have great receiver trio, one of the best running back tandems in the league, tight end group is great, cool and accurate quarterback. They all depend on the O-line which seems to be the weak link. Should we trade maybe MJ, that's Mike Jackson, for a great guard? Are you are you dipping into the pool from the secondary to try to bolster some other areas on the roster if you're in charge, Jackson? <sighs>
0: You know, I'm going to I'm going to answer anchors one about the guards first. And then, sure. you know, I think the discussion will address the other two, because this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately um, regarding trading for a guard. I, I agree. If you could just trade this asset for a commensurate value at this other position. Yeah. Yeah. I was I would say, sure, there's there's a lot of merit to that. But I'm not sure that market exists. There are no above-average guards out there that a team is going to let go. Um, I think I think they're going to want Tariq if they're going to give up a guard. And, you know, if, if they're going after the corners or, you know, maybe maybe Kobe Bryant. But the thing is, is one, I feel a lot better about Seattle's interior offensive line this year. Um, I like Damian Lewis. Phil Haynes played much better when he was healthy than he did when he was playing Hurt. Go figure. If he stays healthy, I think if uh, Olu Oluwatimi can step up and be the starting center uh, and he's having nice preseason, then you're able to move Evan Brown back to guard, just where he played a lot in, in Detroit. So I think we have some depth there. The other thing is I think depth at corner is not something... Just say, well, since we have a lot of it and we can't get them all on the field right now, let's trade one of them. I, like I said, if you get the right offer and you can bring in, you know, let's say, let's say Mike Michael Jackson is, I don't know, he's probably a B as far as all corners in the league go. And that's not a slight, like, there's not a lot of those out there. Yeah, I don't think he's an A corner, but I think he's probably a B corner. Um, that's hard to find, and we're still not sure. That we have someone who can just step in and take his place. Not i not mean, like they're
1: Mike, paying him a bunch of
0: money. No, no. He's cheap. He's only 26. It's it's tough, you know? Now, if Devin Witherspoon steps up and establishes himself as the guy that we all hope he will be and that they drafted him to be, okay, maybe that opens some things up. But I don't consider the corner spot across from uh, Tariq to be a settled thing right now. So I, I'd probably hold Pat. Yeah,
1: I'm with you. I think if there's a move to be made, you know, the guys that are actually needle movers for other teams sending other players that would contribute on a non-trivial level or an above average level, let's say they're going to be the guys that you don't want to trade. So I mean, That's maybe it. you can like pull in a Kella Witherspoon and trade like Artie Burns for a sixth round pick or something like that. You know, like he yeah. was getting some reps in, but I really, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think at that spot, after having such a string of no names out there for for so yeah. long, I think you should really lean into a strength and not dilute that.
0: Sure. Maybe trade deadline comes along and, you know, you've got new information to work with. If everyone is still healthy and the interior line sucks, yeah, you probably make some calls because they're going to be teams that need corners and be happy to have uh, a Michael Jackson or a Trey Brown. but. Man, I I think right now you keep these guys and, and really, you know, the thing that comes from it is defenses these days, they're not set things. You don't have the same 11 guys on the field every play. And so it gives Seattle a lot of options defensively to have all these different guys with different skill sets.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I think that leads nicely into this next question from Josh Ray. Josh asks, who on Seattle's current roster is untouchable in any trade offers?
0: Man, that is a great question. That's a great question. And um, I'm going to stay in the secondary. Um, It's Tariq. And that's an insane thing to say about a fifth-round pick in his second year. But, like, (laughs) Tariq's that guy, man. And the fact that he was a day-three pick makes him even less expensive for the next couple of years. And I don't think there's a better value on this team than him. Uh, Except for maybe Jackson Smith and Jig, but I'd consider him untouchable as well. But yeah, right now, it's probably Tariq. What about you? I think Tariq is
1: the first answer. Having a guy on a fifth round salary that made a Pro Bowl in his first year and is every DB's favorite DB. You know, you see all Seriously. when we talked to when we talked to Antonio Cromarty a couple weeks ago, he was just yeah. waxing about Tariq. You see Deion yeah. Sanders coming out publicly and saying that Tariq is his favorite guy to watch. It's just yep. the love, the outpouring for this guy. Yeah, no, he's he's untouchable.
0: Yeah, he's like an A minus already and is like there's so much room for him to like legitimately be the best corner in the NFL. And that is that's a $20, 25000000 five million dollar a year position.
1: Yep. Yep. So then uh, let me pose this to you. Where on the spectrum say that 10 is completely untouchable, untradeable mm-hmm. and 0 is you're trying to offload him. Where yeah. does DK fall on that spectrum for you? Obviously you don't want to trade him, but where right. how untradeable do you think that DK is?
0: I think this year he's like in the 9s. Um I just he has a pretty irreplaceable skill set. I think, um, I think that even though you, Tyler Lockett's stats, like if you just look at them on paper, are basically identical to DK's in in his career. DK Metcalf has had like a top five start to his career in NFL history statistically as a wide receiver. And he got drafted really young. He's so young. And yeah, they paid him big money last year. But by the end of this year, by next year's offseason, he's going to be a bargain. Um you know, maybe as he gets closer to the end of his contract, that becomes like an eight. But yeah, DK, DK's way up there.
1: All right, let's move on to question from Dom. Dom
0: says... Dom oh, viscaret
1: Dom, Dom Uh Last Q&A pod, you answered my D. Eskridge question and he promptly got suspended. Who would you like me to use my Jinx powers on this go-around? I will... <laughs> you know, that that is a... <laughs> is a power that is not to be taken lightly <laughs> yeah, man. that you are wielding? An-
0: answer carefully here, Mike. Yes. Answer
1: carefully. You know, you, you already mentioned him earlier, but I think you should start talking about Sean McVay. You know, I know they had a down year <laughs> last year, but I am sick of the shenanigans. Even when they have like a four-win roster, he's yeah. still finding ways to make Seattle's life a living hell. He's still yeah. churning out – like nail biters with Baker Mayfield and John Wolford and guys that you've never heard of at quarterback. It's it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just, I, I need you to just mellow him out a little bit, please. Just enough with the demon shit, Sean, please. You
0: know, I, I saw, I saw this, uh, this question on Twitter when Dom posted it and, and had a good chuckle. My immediate response was Nick Bosa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he's holding in right now, man. If we could get that guy, I, I think, honestly, I, I think he's probably the difference between the 49ers and the Seahawks right now. <laughs> so yeah. if we could get him somehow staying off the field, that'd be just fine by me. No doubt.
1: It was just announced actually today that uh, Brock Purdy is the Niners starter, Sam Darnold is the backup, which oh, means that Trey Lance is out of the mix. What a, I mean, if you think about the, the picks that were taken after Trey Lance. Let me pull this up. Was that
0: 21 draft? Not to mention what they traded to get there.
1: Exactly. Three first round picks to move up and get him. And the picks afterwards, you've got Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Panay Sewell, J. C. Horn, Pat Sertan, Devontae Smith, Justin Fields, Micah Parsons, Rashawn
0: Slater. It's it's basically like next year's All Pro team, hundred percent. It's like <laughs> next that 2011 first draft. It's like All
1: Pro. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, completely. So imagine if they had taken like one of those guys
0: in any one of those guys would be it'd be a wrap. Yes. it'd be an absolute wrap. And I, and I liked Trey Lance. Coming out, you know, I I believed in him. I thought he was going to be very dangerous in Kyle Shanahan offense. Obviously, I can't you know see behind the scenes over there. Outside looking in, just as a football fan, forget being a Seahawks fan. It just feels like they did that kid so dirty. You know, like I I get not starting him right after you draft him. You know, you, Garoppolo showed that he could get them to a Super Bowl. Hell, he came a dropped interception away from getting them to two Super Bowls. But then the following season, it was so Trey Lance that they were keeping Jimmy Garoppolo off of the field. <laughs> yeah. And then he came out and, you know, his first game was in a literal monsoon. And then his second game against Seattle breaks his ankle. And ever since it's just been, it's just been gnarly. Like the way that the the coach and the GM have talked about him the kinds of questions he has to answer now. Like it just feels like the kid never had a chance and, Mm -hmm. and, and look, maybe, maybe he just doesn't have it because, um, they brought in Sam Darnold, you know, the Brock Purdy thing, that was the best thing that could have happened to the 49ers because he's literally the least expensive draft pick in the entire draft. He was the last guy taken and he showed that he can win games at the NFL level with that roster. If, if that's who he is, um, moving forward then they're off the hook really you know um, minus the sunk cost draft capital but on- honestly getting basically an undrafted free agent uh, as your starting quarterback for a few years goes a long way towards towards mending that it's just I never saw what the benefit of not saying after especially after you traded Garoppolo um, or let Garoppolo walk I don't see what the Benefit of not saying Trey Lance is our guy. And if Brock Purdy comes back and wins the job, he will have won the job. But they didn't say that. They were basically like, no, we're waiting to see what happens with Brock's elbow. And not only, to me, would that crush a young quarterback's confidence, it also kills his trade value. And now they're trying to trade him. And they're basically like, he's worse than Sam Darnold. Who wants him? You know? And it's too late. Everybody else has already gotten their starting quarterbacks. Yeah, it's just... It's just tough. I mean, I'm I'm glad they've fucked up that whole situation as a <laughs> yeah. Seahawks fan. I'm I'm like thoroughly thrilled about it. But just just in wanting to see Trey Lance get yeah. a fair shake somewhere, now they can't even trade him. Everyone's got their quarterback. Next year there's like eight quarterbacks that are supposed to go in the first two rounds. Like there's just not gonna be a spot for him.
1: I think this is a great reminder that, you know, tools aren't everything. If you drop a mm-hmm. a guy with a lot of raw talent into a system that we yeah. can all agree on is one of, if not the best, going in the game today. And one of the hardest. Yes. Yes. No doubt. Um, it's it's not a guarantee. So no. They, there's Certain a lot news. of luck that goes into it. A lot of extracurricular stuff in the margins that you don't see. And um, I hope the best for Trey Lance, just not in San Francisco, which yeah. appears to be how the way things <laughs> that will play appears out. appears
0: to be the case. Yep, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on. Question from uh, Old friend Spaghetti Sandwich. Hey! Uh, Spaghetti Sandwich asks, who do you think will be the sack leader on the team this year? And then I guess we can, uh, we can pair that with a question from My Broken Butt. <laughs> <laughs> asking, do you think Mafe leads the team in sacks and or pressures? So who do you think uh, will lead the team in sacks this year and where do you think Mafe fits into that?
0: Yeah, this is a great couple of questions from a couple of very scholarly Twitter handles. <laughs> uh, uh, my my betting money is is Anu Chenna and Wosu to lead in sacks. I just I think he's the best pass rusher on the team. I think he's probably going to lead the team in pass rush snaps. Um, so the combination of talent and opportunity, I think he's the guy who ends up uh, leading the team in sacks. But you know, I'm I'm glad. Boye Mafé got mentioned here because he is looking awesome this preseason. I mean, he is just winning on almost every snap, it seems like. Heavy hands. Heavy hands. Yeah, man. And like, you know, Seattle, there's so many folks within, you know, Seahawks Twitter who have just been relentlessly hammering Seattle for using the number 41 pick on Ken Walker. Who ended up being a huge part of their success last year
1: and the runner-up offensive rookie of the year?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A thousand-yard rookie, like you know. Well, I think he was number one in the NFL in breakaway run percentage. But they're they're hammering him for forty-one. But it's like a pass on Mafe at number forty right before that, who didn't do anything last year. You know, uh, and and I agree the process in taking a defensive lineman there generally is better than the process of taking a running back there. But it wasn't an either or, it was a both and. And and Walker's been amazing. Mafe, there was so much to be desired last year. He just he's got the talent. Like if you look at the tape, if you look at the measurables, crazy athlete, you know, a top percentile athlete. Uh, and to see him putting that together now and kind of being like to me, he profiles as more of a Michael Bennett defensive end someone who plays inside of the tackle as opposed to outside of the tackle. That's huge. So I, I think there's a chance he could lead the team in pressures, but Draymond Jones would have to get hurt mm. because I think Draymond Jones is going to be far and away the best interior defensive lineman on this team. And when we had Charles McDonald on uh, to talk D line, it was basically like Draymond or nothing. Up front. Please save
1: I, us. Yeah.
0: I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's, that's kind of the case. So mm. that's my rant on that. What about you?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, just to just to build on your point with Mafe, like the way that everything has swung post Russell Wilson trade, like I think that you're probably in a pretty good spot to bet that Mafe will turn into an all pro. <laughs> uh, and, right. and honestly, when I was watching the game on Saturday, I didn't mention this earlier. A guy that we don't think about from that class is Tyreek Smith, and I know you know he led the mm-hmm. team in, in tackles and he had a sack on the last play. But there was there was a snap in the first quarter where he like knocked I think the right tackle back like a few yards just off the snap, and I was like, oh my god, who is that? And I looked closer and was like, okay, that's that's another guy. So of course, by the way things have gone, I think we can assume that I'm glad you mentioned him because yeah,
0: he absolutely showed out on Saturday too. Yes,
1: yes. Um, but in terms of who who I think will lead the team in sacks this year. Oh man. You know, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to our buddy Griff, uh, see Mike's mm. been moved the other night and we were just talking about Daryl Taylor and how he's been yeah. such a tease throughout his career. Yeah. He is just so explosive. And when he's on, you just think, Oh my God, like you could be like a 15 sack guy. If it every, if it all aligns,
0: his you know? sacks come in bunches, oh, man. My God. And, he, and we forget he tied Uchenna for the team lead in sacks last mm-hmm. year. Like, Absolutely, and He's he had a horrible it. first half of the
1: the season. Like Uchenna had a huge had a huge advantage on him midway through. So, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> if if you're if you're really Swinging for the fences, I'm going to go with uh, Daryl Taylor. Just because, you know, they bring in Draymond Jones. You have these younger guys. If Mafe develops with Derek Hall in the mix, you have more guys where it's not just two guys on the edge that everybody can key in on. No true penetrating interior presence. That's right. Yeah, I I would go with Daryl Taylor, but I'm not super confident in that based on the inconsistency that he's shown in the past.
0: Tell me if this makes sense. I think Daryl Taylor is the most likely guy to lead the team in sacks in any given game, but I think Inwosu is the best bet to lead the team in sacks over the course of a whole season. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with it.
1: So let's uh, let's move on. We got a couple questions about a fellow presence on the edge, rookie undrafted Levi Bell, stepping up on both sides of the ball. A guy that wasn't even on our radar. Some have called him football's Shohei Otani. (laughs) <laughs> uh, with his impressive block springing Sir Roderick on that touchdown run in the second half. Yeah, but man. So we've got questions coming in from uh, Jared Westby asking, am I crazy to think Levi Bell could replace Bellore on the roster, young, hungry, and cheaper? And then RC, Shamba City, more on Levi Bell. Dude is a stud. He even lined up at fullback. Is Bellore's job
0: in jeopardy? Our boy, Nick, he's, he's catching a lot of strays all of a sudden, (laughs) but, but like for his, as beloved as he is. And, and I think important, you know, um, it's kind of a, a fungible position that he holds and Levi Bell appears to be a better athlete. And if he can do the same things, he will be cheaper. And right now with Seattle salary cap, like it is about rubbing pennies together. So I think they'd like to see him make the team. And I think he made a great case for it on Saturday.
1: Any chance that you have to get younger, especially on special teams, if you can get contributors on special teams for next to nothing, I think you got to do it. Yep. Yep. I'd I'd like to see Bell make the roster. All right. Just a few more from Nate Seahawks. Do you think Seattle is grooming Drew Locke to be Geno's replacement in a year or two? To which I would respond, I sure hope not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, we kind of we kind of led off the mailbag or or the show really uh, talking about how good Drew Lock looked in that game. Here's the thing, I I totally feel you on this, Mike. I hear where you're coming from, but I think it's actually their ideal outcome. Oh, definitely. That, I mean, it's the it's Geno Smith's career arc, right? Like it just- is. That's the exact exact same thing. Second round pick. It's got all this talent, but just isn't maybe doesn't have the polish or or leadership to be the guy. And now he gets to understudy with yeah exactly the blueprint for what he has to hope his career will be in they give him four million dollars to back up Gino this year that's a lot of money for a backup quarterback so he's looked amazing in the preseason that said I don't think they're married to the idea yeah but if if Gino's not the guy after the next couple of years it's a lot easier to bring in a guy if they feel like he is commensurate in ability for a lot less money he's Drew Lock's not going to cost $25 million a year. Um, they would love to have that, but I don't imagine a scenario where Drew Lock is slamming the door on them drafting the next quarterback or paying in free agency for the next quarterback if they feel like there's a bona fide stud there. It's still the most important position. I mean, look no further than the 49ers, who probably have the best roster in the NFL, but haven't won a Super Bowl, right? They just They've been deficient at quarterback. So um, I'm, I'm open to it because I was not open to Geno Smith going into last year being the guy, and now I'm very glad that he is. So yes. subject to change, but I do think the team wants it to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's how confident do you feel that he can go one and one in two games?
0: Yeah. We talk about this all the time. Like, I'm not, I'm not looking for the backup to be Steve Young. Or even Nick Foles, where it's like, "Well, speak for yourself." Come on. <laughs> if if you know the starter goes down, can this guy come in and win a Super Bowl? I look if if the stars align, that's an amazing thing. I don't think that's how you should approach your backup quarterback, unless it's Patrick Mahomes behind Alex Smith. It's it's if Geno Smith is out for a month, we talk about this all the time. Can you go two and two? Like you said, can you go one and one if Geno has to miss a couple of games? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think they can with Drew Locke. You know, I he he has the arm talent. Like he can make all of the throws. The question is, can he make the right decision? Can he do things on time? Can he keep the offense on schedule? So far, playing with backups against backups, absolutely, he's been fantastic. So I, I do feel more comfortable. If it had happened last year and Gino had to miss, say, six games, the thought of Seattle going three and three did not seem realistic with Drew Locke. I think it's within the realm of possibilities now.
1: Yep. All right. Next one comes in from a friend of the show, Steve Sandmeier. Local legend. Local legend. Steve requests an exhaustive study and analysis of every Pete Carroll challenge. Why he (laughs) should never be allowed to have the flag in his hand despite actually winning one this preseason. To which I would respond... (laughs) With our good friend John Fraley, the legend, hey, shout Fraley, out John for putting together that exhaustive study and analysis on it's field been goals. done, baby. It has already been done. Ask and you shall receive. I do. I do understand the pain when he admits after the game that sometimes he just throws a fuck it challenge,
0: you know, just to yeah, make a point. Gets a little hormonal. <laughs> yes, exactly. I understand. I understand. But here's my thing: if I'm an NFL coach, I'm a big believer in delegation. And one of my favorite coaches in the NFL is John Harbaugh and he's huge on that. John Harbaugh only wants to focus on the thing on the set specific head coach stuff during the game. Now, during the week, I think Mike Tomlin's also this way, he's another one of my favorite coaches, but they have a challenge guy. They and they've got a fourth down guy. And they have guys whose job it is to figure out if we get in this situation, I've run the numbers I've extrapolated all of the data and I can tell you right now, we should go forward on fourth or we should challenge right now. The head coach has to think about too many other things in that moment. He's responsible for too much. I would love to see Pete Carroll. Hell, I don't care if it's Nate Carroll who is doing it, but somebody has got to just be the one with the flag in their hand and a headset on and the review guys are telling him yes or no so that Pete can just focus on what Pete needs to focus on. That's that that's that's my take on the situation. Delegate that shit.
1: Hey, I mean Nate Carroll's too busy coaching up Jake Bobo, according to Hustle Chilson. So uh. you may need to look elsewhere for that. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one comes in from Riley Kennemer. Riley asks if you had to guess, what do you think DK Lockett JSN stats look like at the end of the year? The distribution between them will be interesting regardless. In ideal sense, your OC, take up the mantle now.
0: Yeah. How are you distributing those targets? Man, I love this question so much and shout out to Riley. I know Riley, he is an awesome dude. Thank you for this question. Uh, this is one of my favorite ones that we got. Okay. So the way he frames it is if I had to guess, I would say, you know, in, in the past, what we've seen is a really, really focused siloing of targets towards DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And before that, It was kind of the same way, you know, uh, Doug Baldwin and uh, Jermaine Curse got a lot of the targets and Golden Tate before that. You know, there's always been kind of two guys who stand out in terms of target share. I do think with JSN, like at full speed and comfortable in the offense, the 25 to 28% target shares for those guys do come down. And I think that's a good thing. And I don't think that their production will dip that much as a result because defenses know where the ball is going right now they can't always stop it but they know where the ball is going and that's not going to be the case when they have all three of those guys on the field but if I had to guess let's say let's say jSN misses the first two games of the season and then everybody else ends up you know kind of playing and staying healthy i've got I've got dK back up in that 11 1200 yard range I think he's an 8 to 10 touchdown guy. I think Lockett is probably the one that sees his production come down a little bit uh, with JSN there. So I've got him kind of in that 900 to 1,000 yard range. I think he's also an eight, nine touchdown guy. And like, I'd be really thrilled if we got 7, 800 yards from JSN as a rookie. Oh, my and God. Yeah. Four to six touchdowns. Because now you're talking about throwing for 4,500 yards as a team. Once you've mixed in, the kind of tertiary receivers, the tight ends, the running backs. And, and that's an offense that's scoring a ton of points, but I don't think this is just fandom projection. We've seen it from DK and and Tyler lock. I mean, DK Metcalf had a quote down year last year. Well, his average depth of target was way down because teams were just shading over the top of him all the time. That's why they were just hammering him with those little five yard slants and stop routes because he couldn't get deep, the only time he ever got deep all season was in the playoff game against 49ers at the end of the first half. So he also led the NFL in end zone targets last year, and he only caught six of them. He had 24 targets in the end zone, more than anyone in the NFL, and he only caught six of them. Just law of averages says that should be 12 or 13 touchdowns just on those throws. Plus, you add in a couple of deep targets. I think the yards and the touchdowns are going to be there for DK. I think the catches might come back down to that 80 ish range. And so now he's averaging 14, 15 yards per catch instead of 11 or 12. But I think the numbers are there for all three of them at the end of the season.
1: He had 140 targets last year and he caught 90 balls, you know? So that's like mm-hmm. a 64% catch rate, which. I think if you can push that up to around 70% on a lower target share and then get JSN up to around like between, you know, 600 and 800 yards, that is
0: perfect. Perfect. Well, and and even if his average depth of target jumps back up to 13, 14 yards, if you're, even if it stays at 64% to DK you're going to see those yards and touchdowns go way up just just as a result. I think we're going to see the most efficient season from DK, certainly since that monstrous 2020 year, um, but maybe even the best year of his career on a per-target basis.
1: Yep. All right, let's close this out with an absolute heater from Geno911. Who is the most important progression candidate on the Seahawks right now? We, the fan delegate, love to ascribe a leap forward for players, but whose ascension would be the most meaningful this year? Man,
0: what a great question! A heater indeed. Thank you, Gino nine one one. That's a great name. <laughs> I'm Connor Entis. Uh, there's two for me, and and there may be not the most exciting names because I don't think there's huge leaps forward <clears throat> available to the best players on this team. Aside from maybe Tariq, I think I think if Tariq jumps into that actual pantheon level of cornerback play he could be one of the most important defensive players in the entire league but for me it's Boye mafe who we've already talked about he's already showing that he can maybe make that leap but depth and talent on the interior defensive line is an absolute premium across the league and even more so in seattle the other guy is damian lewis we need better interior blocking and damian lewis has had some games in his career where he has been flat out dominant absolute game wrecker up front and when he's off, when he's hurt, run game falls apart. Uh, Gino, for all of his incredible performance last year, wasn't great under pressure relative to the rest of the league. And I think that if we get the best version of Damian Lewis, if he can make the jump, I don't even—I don't need him to be all pro. I don't need him to be a Pro Bowler. I need to be a top ten left guard in the NFL. Uh, the sky's the limit for this offense.
1: Totally agree with both of those. A couple other guys that I would highlight. One, also on the line, I think if Charles Cross takes a huge step forward, that is just – enormous like did you see the (laughs) the blocks that he put on tape on that long zach charbonnet run which was i mean you had phil haynes uh evan brown and abe lucas you know blocking it up to a t springing uh charbonnet but fucking uh uh charles cross is just wrecking shop on the other side just barreling guys over
0: and that wasn't the strength of his game last year It was in pass protection i know
1: so if he can if he can grow into his frame and really turn into an all-round solid left tackle I think that's huge as well you know it's really just it's reducing each individual failure point on that line you know super important at every single spot
0: do you think a big leap for Charles Cross means like Trent Williams Jason Peters level play like is that (laughs) in his range of outcomes because he was really good as a rookie and so a huge leap for me I mean That's kind of where you start talking.
1: I don't know about that. I think, you know, if we can see like, I mean, I guess Rashawn Slater kind of ruined everything because he was like all pro caliber as a rookie. But I think if you can take that jump in year two, if you can turn into like a borderline pro bowler at left tackle, then that is just unbelievable to have him. Again, we talked about the value of having these guys on a cost controlled rookie contract. That's enormous. Uh, I don't know about Trent Williams, who is like arguably a top five player in the sport. <laughs> uh, the other guy that I wanted to touch on is Trey Brown, because yeah, first the first part of the game on Saturday, Mike Jackson struggled a little bit. We talked about this, you know. He's he's a solid option, but I I'd like to think that if I could choose the way that events will unfold, the secondary that I would like to see on the field with three corners are Trey Brown, Devin Witherspoon and Tariq Woolen. Because mm-hmm. when Trey Brown was healthy as a rookie, that was a weird year, you know, they had took D Eskridge yeah. with their first pick, you didn't really get anything out of him. They had like what four selections or something like that. Yeah. Trey Brown was something before he messed up his patellar tendon.
0: And Well, he's he's ferocious out there. Ferocious he's like, like such an instinctual player, player yep. you know. I mean, that's a pack of dogs those guys you just listed. Yes. Yes, exactly. But he
1: got his pick in the fourth quarter of the game on Saturday. You know, the ball skills appeared to be there to a certain degree. He looks sticky in coverage. He's a hitter on screens yep. and in the run game. So, I oh know, man, just, just get the dogs on the field and let them, let them work.
0: That is a lot of ground we just covered, man. Yeah. <laughs> and we still weren't able to get to everyone. Shouts to everybody for asking great questions. Yeah, seriously, seriously, man. There There's some really good ones in there. And the thing that I appreciated about these questions is a lot of them I hadn't hadn't considered until I saw them. And, and you guys really helped me. And, and I'm sure the same for you, Mike. Think about this team in a little bit different way. So appreciate being able to lean into the wisdom of the crowds uh, on this one. So that's going to be a wrap for today. Thank you again to everyone who responded. Some really, really great stuff from y'all. We are super lucky to have such a sharp listenership. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter or X at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at, at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at Cigar Thoughts NFL. And on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok at Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fuelgoals.com/slash cigar thoughts. Articles are starting up in a couple of weeks, baby. Oof. We're gonna be back to writing. Been sharpening up the pencil. And if you're listening to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like it, drop us a five-star rating, leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out cigarthoughtsnfl.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thought cigars or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the details. And when you buy those cigars, reach out on Twitter, or Instagram, Facebook, wherever with a pick. Tell us what you think. A lot of y'all have done that already. It's very, very cool. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it is an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends.